The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. The blood that Jesus shed for me Way back on Calvary The blood that gives me strength From day to day It will never lose His power My doubts and it calms my fears, and that same love dries all of my tears. Oh, the blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. It is a story, but it's more than entertainment. It is a guide, a practical guide for walking day by day out of the city of destruction, into the celestial city. So welcome to the journey. We're reading together the book Pilgrim's Progress. I need to, for copyright's sake, let you know that this edition is edited by C.J. Lovick, and it's published by Crossway Publishers, and I'm reading to you by permission of the publisher from the Pilgrim's Progress. Let's dive right into this book today. There's much there's much I want to cover and talk with you about. I'm going to begin reading for you on page 85 of Pilgrim's Progress. The background for this reading today is that Christian has been resting now for two days in a place prepared by the Lord of the of the house as a a place of recuperation, spiritual strengthening, a place of spiritual examination. And John Bunyan, in speaking about this place, refers to it as a palace, but what he's really saying is it's the church. It's the body of Christ. It's the place where we're taught the word of God. It's the place where we're held accountable It's the place where we're encouraged in our walk on this narrow path. It is a place of respite, a place of refreshment, a place where we eat. So Pilgrim has been in this place of comfort 
Now, I, I want to read for you just a couple of paragraphs from a sermon that John Bunyan actually put into book form in 1676, just prior to his going to prison. Uh, let me read this for you. My first word shall be to the open profane. Poor sinner, thou readest here that but few will be saved. And he is referring to this passage of Scripture in Matthew seven, thirteen and 14. And I'll read it for you so you get the context. It says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there will be who will not go in therein, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. The few there be that find it. Let me read that for you again. The English is very difficult. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And then Bunyan begins his message speaking to the, to the openly profane. And he's saying, What sayest thou to this poor sinner? Let me say it over again. There are but few to be saved, but very few. Let me add, but few professors, but few eminent professors. And he's speaking of professors of religion, professors of being Christian. He's saying very few Christians will enter into the eternal city. What sayest thou now, sinner? If judgment begins at the house of God, what will the end of them be that obey not the gospel of God? This is Peter's question. Canst thou answer it, sinner? Yea, I say again, if judgment must begin at them, will it not make thee think, what shall become of me? And I add, when thou shalt see the stars of heaven to tumble down to hell, canst thou think that such a muck heap of sin as thou art shall be lifted up to heaven? Peter asks thee another question, to wit, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? 1 Peter 4.18 Canst thou answer this question, sinner? Stand among the righteous, thou mayest not. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Stand among the wicked, thou then will not dare. Where wilt thou appear, sinner? To stand among the hypocrites will avail thee nothing. The hypocrites shall not come before him, that is, with acceptance, but shall perish. Because it concerns thee much, let me over with this again. When thou shalt see less sinners than thou art, bound up by angels in bundles to burn them, where wilt thou appear, sinner? Thou mayest wish thyself another man but that will not help thee, sinner. Thou mayest wish, would I had been converted in time, but that will not help thee either. And if, like the wife of Jeroboam, thou shouldest feign thyself to be another woman, the prophet, the Lord Jesus would soon find thee out. What wilt thou do, poor sinner? Heavy tidings, Heavy tidings will attend thee, except thou repent, poor sinner. Oh, the dreadful state of a poor sinner, of an open, profane sinner. Everybody that hath but common sense knows that this man is in the broad way to death, yet he laughs at his own damnation. 
This was a portion that I've shared with you from John Bunyan entitled The Straight Gate, The Great Difficulty of Going to Heaven. I hope soon that I'll be able to have this up on our website and you can read it in its entirety. But today I'm very much concerned that we not casually put aside the question of where will we spend eternity. And many of you are spending all of your time and energy trying to earn money, trying to buy your most recent desired pleasure, focused on what your relationships are with some man or some woman, and yet giving barely a thought to where you will spend eternity. Is there any more serious question that you could ask of your heart than to honestly address the question, where will I spend eternity? That question is so serious, it does not allow me the luxury to stand back and watch. It is so deadly serious, it does not allow me the comfort of not being embarrassed. It does not allow me the comfort of sinking into some supposed sentimental belief that in the end everything will work out well for me. Nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is, every sinner and every righteous man or woman is on the same path, and that path is to the judgment bar of God. And there God alone will determine where you will spend eternity. It matters not what you believe. It matters not what you've been taught. It matters only what Jesus Christ thinks and what his judgment is, because he is the one who will determine where you spend that eternity. And I have to confess, when I leave this radio broadcast, I'll make my way to do some shopping that I must do for the church, and then I'll make my way back to my home office, and there I'll work in the studio, and then I'll go have dinner this evening, and then I'll come back home, and I'll retire to my prayer closet, And there I will sit before the Lord and ask him to please judge my day. I'll ask him to please look at every moment how I've spent my time and my energy and my money and to show me if I have in any way displeased him. I'm not going to go home this evening and after dinner settle before a television or settle with a movie I'm going to come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and ask him to please carefully with me examine my heart and by the power of the Holy Spirit determine if my actions have been in accord with his will. For you see, the scriptures say that I am not my own. I was bought at a price. And I will face the judgment regarding the words that I have spoken the actions that I have taken and not taken, I will, I will face the judgment bar of God tonight so that when I eventually come before the judgment bar of God, I will come to that place made holy and made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. Don't allow the activities of this day to distract you from the most important and vital question that you can deal with, and that is, where will I spend my eternity? There is nothing that should even begin to interfere with that question being honestly asked and answered. And I want to speak to you who today, as you listen have never confessed the name of Jesus Christ. 
Are you beginning to sense your desperate need for a Savior? It's not more information that you need. It's a heart turned in repentance to the Almighty God. It's a Savior that you need. Some of you who listen to this broadcast are Hindus or Buddhists or Muslims or Jewish. I have great compassion in my heart for you because you have not been taught the way of the cross, the way of sacrifice, the way of crucifixion, of giving up your life and be given, and to be given then the new life in Jesus Christ. I'm eager for you to ask and honestly answer this question, where will I spend eternity, and not trust in some foolish self-help process, but recognize the desperate need for a Savior. And to those of you who call yourself Christian, are you a Christian? Or are you a pagan at heart with Jesus spray-painted on the outside? Have you turned aside from the world, the flesh, and the devil? Have you renounced them? Have you been crucified with Christ? Are you trusting in your old experience? Are you trusting in intellectual arguments? Are you trusting in some preacher somewhere? I want to tell you, don't trust this preacher. Don't trust anyone. Test every word that you hear from the mouth of a pastor or a teacher or a prophet. Measure it, test it against the word of the living God. Because God doesn't have any grandkids. Nobody's going to ride my coattails into heaven. You're going to enter into that heavenly place based on your relationship with Jesus Christ, based on whether or not you have been crucified with him and whether he now lives in you. So let's go to page 85. We pick up the story as he's preparing to leave. Now they all agreed that Christian was ready to go forward on his journey but they wanted to visit the armory one last time before he left. So they did, and while they were there, they covered him from head to foot with armor to protect him should he be assaulted along the way. Christian, now dressed in full armor, went with his friends to the gate. And when he arrived at the gate, he asked the porter if any other pilgrims had passed by. The porter answered, Oh, yes. Did you ask him his name? Oh, I asked him his name, and he told me it was faithful. Oh, I know him. He's a townsman of mine, a close neighbor. He comes from the place where I was born. How far ahead do you think he is? The porter responded, By this time I think he should be below the hill. Well, good porter, the Lord be with you and increase your blessing for all the kindnesses you have shown me. And then he began to go forward. Discretion, piety, charity, and prudence accompanied him down to the foot of the hill. And they all went on together, rehearsing their former conversations until they came to the top of the hill. Then Christian said, it appears that going down the hill is going to be as difficult and dangerous as it was climbing up the hill. Yes, said Patience, it is a very hard thing for a man to go down into the valley of humiliation, which is where you are headed. It's difficult to go down the hill without slipping and falling, which is why we're going to accompany you down the hill. So he began to go down very carefully, and even with all of his caution and assistance, he almost slipped a time or two. Then I saw in my dream that they all arrived at the bottom of the hill where they gave Christian a loaf of bread, a bottle of wine, 
and a cluster of raisins. Then Christian went on his way. It's interesting. They have given Christian a loaf of bread symbolizing the broken body of Christ. They've given him a bottle of wine symbolizing the blood shed by Jesus. And they've given a cluster of raisins symbolizing the food and refreshment that one receives in the church. And Christian goes on his way. Now, we're going to begin chapter 4, entitled, A Fierce Battle and a Dark Valley. Before I do, I want to say to you, there is nothing more difficult than walking down into the valley of humiliation. Very few people are willing to walk that valley. And yet, you cannot reach the celestial city without going through the valley of humiliation. It's a place where all of our pride is stripped away, where we finally recognize that we have no power and no ability to live a righteous life in our own strength. It's a place where every dark thought will assail us. It's a place where all the questioning of our heart occurs as you recognize those things that you have done in your life that you are utterly ashamed of. And now, instead of pushing them away and pretending they don't exist, they're brought forward in all of their gory detail. And one has to recognize the true condition of one's heart. You see... You will never enter in by the straight and narrow gate unless you are willing to humble your heart before God. I've been saying to some of you who have not been raised in the Christian faith, perhaps Hindu or Jewish or Muslim, Buddhist, you cannot become a follower of Jesus Christ without humbling your heart. All of the pride has to be laid in the dust. For surely the day will come after you have been to the cross and have been crucified when this straight and narrow path will lead you directly into the valley of humiliation. And I'll speak to you quite frankly for a moment out of my own experience It is always for me in the valley of humiliation that the devil comes, Apollyon comes, and tries to kill me. It's when I begin to say to myself, I have been humbled. I am of no value. I can never complete this walk. It's too hard following Jesus. If only a few are going to be saved, then obviously... I'm nobody, and I can't be saved. I have sinned away the grace of God. Now, in the valley of humiliation, you have to make a choice. Will you take up the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith? Will you take the word of God in your hand? And will you deal with these wicked thoughts that come to your mind? Or will you lock yourself away in an iron cage and say, I'm a helpless condition, I have sinned away the grace of God, and there's no possibility for me. Even as I say this, my spirit is saddened almost to the point of tears. Because I know some of you listening to this broadcast today are shut away in an iron cage. And you've given up. And you've said it's it's impossible. I can't follow Jesus. Those are the lies of the devil. It's simply not true. Now I have to tell you, my heart goes out much more for the man or woman caught in the iron cage 
than it does for the man or woman who is arrogantly walking along the broad way, proclaiming that they're a Christian, even as they walk in all of their wickedness, and their wickedness does not even concern them or bother them. In fact, they have so seared their conscience that they have no they have no sense of guilt about watching filth on television. They have no sense of guilt about following all of the sporting activities. They have no sense of guilt. They also are in a cage. It's the cage of utter destruction. So yes, my heart is moved with compassion for you also. You're in equal difficulty with the man who is locked away. But one man knows he's in trouble and the other man thinks he's fine even while he's naked and miserable and blind and wretched and poor. Oh, Holy Spirit, I just, I stop for a moment and plead with you. Would you send forth your ministering spirit right now to that dear brother or sister who is locked away in that cage and has given up and doesn't believe it's possible that your grace and your mercy can forgive them and restore them? Lord, I plead your blood over that person right now. They've tried and they've tried and they've tried and they can't overcome their sin. Lord, today would you show them it's absolutely true they cannot overcome their sin, but your mighty, powerful, glorious blood can break every bondage and release every captive. Lord, would you minister to that person right now? Would you cause hope to begin to spring up in their soul? that you do love them and you did die for them and that while it's true they have no strength in their own power to fight against sin by your precious blood they can be forgiven and restored to fellowship with you and Lord I also pray now for that man or woman who is walking arrogantly before you in the pride of life loving the things of darkness, and yet claiming that they are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I plead right now for conviction of sin. Lord, I plead your blood over Washington, D.C. Lord, I, I plead your blood. I plead your mercy. Thank you, Lord. I stand by faith that through the word that's being spoken, you're bringing forth a harvest for your kingdom, Jesus, that you're encouraging men and women's hearts to be faithful to you, to rise up with songs of praise, with shouts of victory. Thank you, mighty God of heaven. Thank you. If you'd like to call, our phone lines are open, 877 534-0780. 534-0780. It truly is time for you to deal with your heart, to ask the hard questions about your standing before God. I was sharing this message with one dear woman, and she became very, very angry with me. And she said, I am a mature Christian. Are you daring say to me, Pastor, that I must consider once again whether or not I am saved? And she went on to tell me the date she was saved. And how could I dare question whether or not she was saved? But her heart was filled with lust for money. She was full of argumentative separation. She fought with her family. She fought with her children. She battled with rage on every hand, and yet she was saved. I wonder what she was saved from and what she thought she was being saved to. So, yes, I constantly examine every night the question Am I saved? 
Yes, I have the first deposit of salvation from the Holy Spirit, and yes, he has granted me the power to withstand every attack of Satan. The question is, have I? Have I stood? Or have I compromised? And is there a need for me to repent? Our phone number is 877-534-0780. On a scale of 1 to 10, how close are you to Jesus? Are there things that stand between your heart and Jesus? If so, quickly deal with those issues. That number again is 877-534-0780. While I wait for you, I'm going to continue reading, and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to prompt only those who should call to in fact call. If in your spirit you're hearing, you need to call. Call. If fear's holding you back, obey the Holy Spirit. Obey the Holy Spirit. Be willing to embarrass yourself and go into the valley of humiliation. Chapter 4. Once he was in the valley of humiliation, poor Christian was immediately put to the test. He'd not gone very far before he spied a, a foul fend coming over the fields to meet him. His name was Apollyon. Christian was afraid and struggled in his mind to know whether what he should do. Should he go back or stand his ground? As Christian thought about what to do, he realized that he had no armor for his back and that turning and running would give the enemy an easy target for his darts. Christian decided that standing his ground would give him the best chance of surviving Apollyon's attack. So Christian went forward, and Apollyon met him. Now the monster was hideous to behold. He was clothed with scales like a fish. They are his pride. He had wings like a dragon, feet like a bear a belly from which came fire and smoke and the mouth of a lion. And when he advanced near Christian, he viewed him with a disdainful look, and then he began to question him. Do you notice in the story that the allegory that John Bunyan has written, when Christian came to the palace, a place of rest, the church, he was immediately asked many questions. It is both God's purpose and the devil's purpose to question you, to reveal the true state of your condition. Do not be afraid of questions. Eagerly ask the Holy Spirit to question you. Now notice as the devil begins to question Apollyon asked him, Where did you come from? Where are you bound? I came from the city of destruction, which is the place of all evil, and I'm going to the city of Zion. By your answer, I perceive that you are one of my subjects. For all that country is mine, and I am the prince and God of it. How is it that you have run away from your king? Were it not for the fact that I wish you to enter into my service again, I would strike you to the ground with one blow. Christian responded, Indeed, I was born in your dominion. But your service was hard, and a man cannot live on the wages you pay, for the wages of sin is death. Therefore, when I grew into a greater understanding, I did as other thoughtful persons have done. I searched to see if there was a way to make myself into the person I should be. To that, Apollyon 
protested. There is no prince who will so easily lose his subjects, and nor will I lose you. But since you complained about your service and wages, be content to go back. What our country can afford, I promise to give you. Christian boldly proclaimed, But I have given myself to another, even to the king of princes. So how can I in fairness go back to you? As the proverb says, You have changed from a bad for a worse. But it is very common for those who have professed themselves his servants to give him the slip after a while and return to me. And if you return to me, everything will be well with you. Christian asserted with confidence, I have given him my faith and have sworn my allegiance to him. How can I change my mind now without being hanged as a traitor? You did the same to me, and yet I'm willing to let it pass if you will now turn and come back. Christian replied, What I promised was done in ignorance, and besides, I believe that the prince under whose banner I now stand is able to absolve me and pardon me for those things I did while in your service. Besides, O you destroying Apollyon to speak truth, I like his service. I like his wages. I like his servants. I like his government. His company, his country is better than yours. You can stop trying to persuade me otherwise. I am his servant, and I will follow him. Apollyon then boldly stated, Consider again, when you have cooled down, what you are likely to meet up with on the way you have chosen. You know that for the most part his servants come to an ill end because they are transgressors against me and my ways. Think how many of them have been put to shameful death. Besides, you count his service better than mine, and yet he has never come out of the place where he dwells to deliver from my hands any who served him. But as for me, how many times, as the whole world very well knows, have I delivered from him and his, either by power or fraud, those who have faithfully served me? Likewise, will I deliver you? I have to stop for a moment. I hope you're getting the picture. There is no such thing as a casual walk through the earth. Every waking moment, every sleeping moment of your life will be a battle until you arrive safely across the Jordan in the celestial city. There will be no outward peace in this journey. I said to one person after reading about the lions that were staked out in the ground in front of the palace, it feels to me as though I go from one lion to the next lion to the next lion and then to a bear and then to a leopard and some of them get a bite out of me. I am injured by some of them. This walk is a life-threatening walk. Apollyon is absolutely determined that you will not escape from him. If he can hold you captive in Judaism, if he can hold you captive in Islam, if he can hold you captive in Buddhism or Hinduism or Shintoism, 
He is absolutely delighted. His passionate, bitter hatred is toward Jesus Christ. And if you decide to follow Jesus Christ, he will bring forth every demonic power to try to defeat you, to discourage you, and to turn you aside from the narrow and straight way. But I also have to testify that while there is no peace on the outside, save for those special times of rest that Jesus brings to us, there is continual peace on the inside. So the outside is turbulent and life-threatening. Friends turning against me. Some friends have said to me so many times, Ray, you are always on a quest. Why can't you just be satisfied that you are saved, that Jesus loves you, relax, enjoy the journey? And I say, I cannot do that. There is much higher ground to be taken. There is a journey to be made. I cannot rest until I am with Jesus. He is the desire of my heart. I am on my way to heaven. And come with me, please. Come on the quest with me. I'm going to Jesus. I am going to heaven. And they laugh at me. And then they no longer want to talk with me because my topic of conversation is certainly going to be about my journey and heaven and about Jesus and about my experiences, about the journey that I've taken and the journey that is yet to come. Now, I've not finished my journey. And I have not accomplished the work that Jesus has sent me to accomplish. I've come to this radio station as a watchman, as an evangelist, as a pastor. I've come in the gifting of the Spirit to say to you, please, please consider where you will spend eternity. And if you have no peace inside, I know the peace that passes all understanding. No financial trauma can disturb the peace. No circumstances of hardship, either medical or, or social. Nothing can disturb the peace that reigns in my heart in Jesus Christ. I rejoice in Jesus Christ. So as we come today to the battle that takes place in the Valley of Humiliation, how do you stand? Are you willing to take the journey? Are you willing to fight the devil? And do you notice, Bunyan is absolutely correct. The devil comes with every kind of argument. He comes boldly stating his position. He comes asserting that you belong to him. But I tell you what Jesus said to me. He said to me, you were bought at a price. You are not your own. I was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you too have been bought by the, Je- by the blood of Jesus Christ if you choose to turn your back on Apollyon. You turn your back on the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the straight path will be made very clear before you. Now we continue. His present restraint not to deliver them is for the purpose of testing their love to see if they will cling to him in the end. And as for the ill end you say that is to come, that just adds glory to their account. 
for they do not expect deliverance now and will endure all life's trials, knowing it adds to their glory in eternal life when their prince comes in his, in his glory with his angels. You have already been unfaithful. You have already been unfaithful in your service to him. So why do you think you will receive wages from him? Apollyon charged. How, O Apollyon, have I been unfaithful to him? You almost fainted when you first set out, and then you almost choked in the swamp of despond. You also attempted to get rid of your burden in the wrong way. Instead of patiently waiting for the prince to take it off, you simply simply tried yourself to do it. And then you sinfully slept and lost your scroll. You were almost persuaded to go back at the sight of the lions. You had no faith. And when you talk of your journey and of what you have heard and seen, you inwardly desire your own glory in all you do and say. You love yourself. All this All this is true and much more. But you have failed to mention, you have failed to mention many other things that I have, that I have not been successful in. But the prince whom I now serve and honor is merciful and he's ready to forgive Besides, these infirmities possessed me while I was in your country, for there I allowed them to come in. But I have groaned under them and have been sorry for them, and I have obtained pardon from my prince. At this, Apollyon broke into a hideous rage, shrieking, I am an enemy to this prince. I hate his person, his laws, and his people. I have purposely come here to stop you. Apollyon, beware of what you do, for I am in the king's highway. I am in the way of holiness. Therefore, take heed to yourself. Apollyon straddled himself over the whole breadth of the way and countered. I am void of fear in this matter. Prepare to breathe your last, for I swear by my infernal den that you will go no further. Here I will spill the blood of your soul. And with that he threw a flaming dart at Christian's breast. But Christian had a shield in his hand by which he averted it and its danger. Then Christian drew his sword, for he saw that it was time to make a stand. Apollyon quickly advanced on Christian, throwing darts as thick as hail. Christian did all he could to avoid being struck, yet he could not prevent Apollyon from wounding him in his head, his hand, and his foot. These wounds caused Christian to falter a little. And Apollyon advanced even more. Finally, Christian found new courage and resisted as manfully as he could. This mortal combat lasted for more than half a day until Christian grew weaker and weaker because of his many wounds. We're going to stop there. We have time just for one call. If you call quickly right now, we have five minutes left on this broadcast, and I'll take your call at 877-534-0780. This battle that is being described by John Bunyan that Christian is involved in, oh, I've been in so many battles like this, battles where I've been deeply wounded, Battles where I have given up all hope 
where I thought surely I was to perish and be cast out of the kingdom of God. But I want to tell you that after the battle is over, Jesus always comes and pours in the oil and the wine. He always comes as the good Samaritan, and he binds up the wounds of my heart. I've gone through such a battle. When my wife died two years ago this coming May, when she died of cancer, oh, it was a bitter battle. It was a bitter battle. Every part of my soul fasted and prayed before God and pleaded for her complete healing and restoration to the work of the gospel and to my side. My wife, Jan, was a powerful preacher of the gospel. She was a a personality-plus kind of person. When she walked into the room, the room lit up. Everybody loved her. She was a short little person, but a dynamo of energy and strength, confidence in Jesus. The Lord had done such an awesome work of redemption in her heart. And as I walked out those six months of her being so ill, I kept her at home with me. That's where she wanted to be. And I cared for her. How we prayed and wept before God. But his answer was no. And on the morning when she died, I held her in my arms as her breathing slowly became more and more labored. And she took her last breath. With tears and weeping, I commended her spirit into the hands of Almighty God. And then Apollyon came, saying, See, God doesn't love you. He took your sweetheart away. See, God doesn't care. You always preached and taught people that God answers prayer. See, God didn't answer your prayer. Walk away. See, you're not called to be a pastor. Your church, what are you going to say to them? Oh, Apollyon came in power against me. And I want to tell you the truth. The truth is, the death of God's saints are precious in his sight. And he took Jan to go to heaven with him. And she now rests in glory. And he did it because he loved her. And because he loves me. The most difficult experience of my life I walked through with my hands lifted up, praising Jesus and not doubting his love for me. But oh, what a bloody battle it was. And the victory was sweet. I tell you today, in the name of Jesus, you can have victory over Apollyon. Don't believe his lies. Cry out to the Lord. Hold the shield up. Have the sword of the Spirit in your hand, and you will have the victory.